Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. You are joined by your usual hosts, uh, Josh Hartley and Ben Porter. Hello, Ben. Hello. Hello. And why was... you, I, I don't know why you're smirking at me, but yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know why you responded. Anyway, <laughs> we we uh, we are joined this Independence Day by Robbie Munn of Peculiarity. Hello. Nice to meet Hello. you. Hello, Robbie. How are we doing today? Good. Really good. It's been a hot week, but it's going in the right direction. Nearly Friday. Yes, yes, near, well, nearly there, nearly yeah, well, there. I'm it? having a cheeky three-day week. Oh, are week. you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that well, must, must be nice. Yeah. Oh, must is, be nice. Is, yeah. I'm just bitter because I, I, I actually, it, it, the week of this recording is the Glasgow Fair. Yeah. So, like, almost everyone gets sat off in Glasgow. Almost everyone. Oh, I don't. I don't know. Just, just Cause, you. Because I, I, I make the Englishman work. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. There's, there's a guy goes about with a notebook, goes like, right, we're checking we're, we're checking everyone for the bus. He's going to the beach on uh, the fair weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you Scottish? I? Get back <laughs> in that office, boy. <laughs> Um, to be fair, I'm, I'm doing a four day week this week as well. Yeah. We're, it's a friend's wedding, yeah. So, so yeah, um, but uh, but yes, uh, we are here to talk about Robbie's uh, new game that is coming soon to kickstart. Is that right? Yeah, yeah early September, excellent. Yeah. And uh, the game being Summoner's Isle, indeed. Yeah, yeah quite looking forward to it. I'm very nervous about it. It's uh, it's my first time using Kickstarter, but um, mm-hmm. so the interface is tricky mm-hmm. yeah it's all come together and it'll look nice come the day. That, that, am i right in understanding this is your first game as well uh first game that i'm self-publishing okay uh, ah, yeah. ah. distinction there. Game come out this year uh called war of the nine realms and that's been published by rotan games oh okay excellent excellent there we go. Mm. that's yeah. kind of a, a much bigger affair it's a four-way skirmish game where you're uh either vikings uh the Norse gods, Tark elves, uh, ice giants, and you all battle in to take over Midgard, basically. This sounds like your kind of jam. Ben. I was going to say all of that stuff sounds great. The the new game is look at a photo of Ben. Guess which side he would be on. <laughs> 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 um, anyway, um, we've talked enough about ourselves. I think mm-hmm. you know much as we do enjoy talking about ourselves. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit more about Robbie. Um, well, what would you like to know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we were, we were wondering, I mean, obviously this is uh, your first game that you're self-publishing. You've worked on other games as well. What, what have been your major influences then as a game designer? Uh, from the very beginning, there's been a few key things that I wanted to get mm-hmm. right for this. Is, um, first of all, it's my first game that I'm going to try and self-publish. So I didn't mm-hmm. want to go too big, too ambitious. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to make a nice, neat, compact game. Um, and that got me thinking of compact games. And I wanted to make a strategy game that you could stick, it, stick in your bag and take around with you. So I was like thinking about board size, box size. Uh, and all those components were very early on in the thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got me thinking about strategy games and maps, because I really like old maps. And uh, I started just researching maps. And I found lots of references to this island called Thule. Uh, which is a bit a mythical place, really. Uh, right. A kid to Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And no one really knows where it was. Some people think it was Mediterranean. Some people think it was up north. Um, it's apparently had a very squishy land, 
green trees with purple fruits and uh, people had three legs. It was very bizarre. So it was lovely. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> five. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Robbie. I interrupted you there. <laughs> you were saying. Um, a lot of the... Uh, Academics, I suppose. I thought it was Iceland. So then I started looking into oh, okay, yeah. maps about different maps or variations of, of Iceland. And then I found this really nice map from a Dutch explorer in the 15th century who documented Iceland um, completely wrong. Uh, and it was a beautiful map. So I thought, I'll, I'll base my island on that. And then kept the, the fuel name within the, the law of the game yeah. uh, and then went from there. His failure is your success. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, do you know what? Now you pointed out, though, because I didn't even think of that when we were playing the game. Yeah, the map is kind of shaped a bit like Iceland, <laughs> like very, very loosely. <laughs> yeah, wished. Yes, like the the wrong way around. But one of the things that um, I remember hearing about um, Viking maps mm -hmm. was that you know, as <laughs> Scandinavia was the center of the world. Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah. so the 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 orientation of a lot of their maps is totally different. So the so you actually, if you if you spin it around, you would have Ireland up above Great Britain. Oh right, so they didn't, they didn't orientate it yeah. by north. So if you imagine the the map for Summoners Isle is kind of like Iceland the wrong way round. No, ah, maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you you obviously talked a lot there about your your research into maps. Uh, one of the things we re were really impressed with with the um, with the version of the game that we got to try uh, was the art direction and the art style as well. Mm -hmm. So what what brought that about? Um, uh, well, I suppose it was a, a very slow process. The map mm -hmm. started off quite stylistic, um, and it was very abstract. Mm -hmm. uh, the point that it was a bit too abstract, um, and I got to start talking to this guy called uh, Simon Holland, who I've known for many years. He's actually an mm -hmm. animator by trade. Uh, he does really nice acrylic work as well. And I, I saw some of his shows, and I thought, I wonder if he'd be interested in helping with this game. Uh, and we started small, so he actually designed all the creature tokens first, mm -hmm. the, uh, the worms, the trolls, and the sprites. Um, and then he did the artwork for the box, and then about six months later, we talked about the map a bit more and we thought we wanted to develop it a little bit more, mm -hmm. make it more realistic because originally, as I said, it was based on uh, stylistic and yeah. abstract. So just by working with him in close proximity, constant back and forth between us, he'd have his ideas um, and some we kept in and some of my ideas we kept in, sort of worked it out between us, really. Yeah. yeah. I th the, the thing that, because we were talking about the the art style just before we, we came on the show and the you mentioned the the box art there, um, which, which I love, by the way. Um, but there's the the dragon on the front. Mm -hmm. It it looks very distinct from your typical dragon. Um, yeah. I I actually felt it had a bit of a Celtic vibe to it, you know, with the the antlers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's because there's that's one of the worms, and there's mm -hmm. uh, as you say, there's four different type of uh, worms in the game, and this would be the uh, earthworm, no, the uh, forest worm, sorry. 
Yeah. So he basically <laughs> not to be confused with an earthworm, which yeah. you will find in your garden. <laughs> Can you imagine if you're a summoner and you accidentally summon an earthworm? But shit. Oh, no, not not again. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, we we were loving the uh, the sort of Celtic influence to uh, yeah. to to the art direction, uh, and I think more beasts should just have antlers. Maybe that's what was pulling uh, Father Christmas's sleigh the entire time. It's you more know, realistic than flying reindeer. Well, let's face it, reindeer don't even have wings. It's quite interesting you say that because. Um... Like a lot of the ideas we have about Father Christmas mm. are actually taken from Odin. Yeah, they've just been like appropriated oh, yeah. and then like smooshed together with the the Turkish Saint Nicholas. So you, you, what you're telling me that it, Father Christmas is the father of Thor? Um, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> you, you, you've arrived. You've arrived at that on your own. <laughs> Can I? Can I've I, completely can, twisted what I've said. Can, can I? Can I? Can I still believe it though? You can believe whatever you want. Sure. <laughs> That's on you. The Vikings travelled down to Turkey uh, on trade routes. That's true. Yeah, um, some of them actually worked as uh, mercenaries mm. uh, in in Turkey. There's a really good novel called Byzantium, which is all about um, uh, a Viking raiding ship that finds its way in the. What would it, it's the Holy Roman Empire, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Byzantium. Um, no, it was, it was the Byzantine Empire Byzantine, at that, yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but was, it was the Holy Roman Emperor. Was the Holy Roman Emperor? Yeah. What well, was it? Right. Uh, does his son, son still on board? Is his son with him? It follows a monk. This story. Yeah, story. A, I've he's read a, a, another book, which is really good, where they yeah. go down to similar part of the world, and his yeah. son stays on board with him because he wants to be a, a warrior. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this one's an Irish bit. monk. Is an Irish monk who gets stolen by Vikings, <laughs> and then he and then he ends up. Uh, this this monastery didn't have any gold in it. I'll just steal the monks. They will do. <laughs> what are we going to do with monks? I don't know. Just put load them up, load them up. Come on. It's like we need to cover the expenses for this trip, <laughs> and those monks will do. Maybe if we shake him hard enough, gold will fall out. Yeah, maybe. I'm pretty maybe. sure they maybe tried that the first couple of times. Like this isn't working. We're just going to have to sell. Them. I think usually gold would fall out of a monk though. Back then, yeah, 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 they were probably one of the wealthiest people in the oh yeah, yeah. in the land, yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, <laughs> slight diversion, there, uh, folks. A little bit of a tangent there, but um, one of the other things that that um that we wanted to ask you was that um, uh, Sumner's Isle is a sort of area control worker placement game. Um, yeah, kind um, of. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it has elements of it. Anyway, absolutely, yeah. So, and w one of the one of the arguments that that you often hear put forward about those sorts of games is that if you've played one, then you've played them all. So, in what way does Summoner's Isle differ from uh, its peer group? I could do because um, I kind of like these sort of games, obviously. Uh, but one of my biggest bugbear ever since I was a kid playing games like Risk mm -hmm. is if someone storms ahead it's very difficult to ever come back. Uh, once they've got too powerful, a certain sort of power base behind them, 
it doesn't matter what you throw at them, you're never going to come back. So mm-hmm. I designed Summoner's Isle with a couple of catch-up mechanisms to give you that opportunity. Sorry, I was just going to say I experienced that firsthand in the game that I we played because yeah. we, we were playing a four-player game. I got far ahead quite early on in the game and then proceeded to get absolutely stomped on by <laughs> the other three players because yeah. he's the one in the lead. Let's get absolutely. him. <laughs> you don't want to be the target. <laughs> no, I should have. I should have been a bit more. Um, Subtle, uh, yeah, yeah, a bit more coy. Yeah. I think. It's um. <laughs> So that's that's one thing I, I really tried hard to do is to make sure that uh, there was no uh, power creep, mm. uh, and that even if you've fallen behind, you might have got all of your uh, creatures might have left the board because they've been mm. destroyed by other players, um, and you might have no power, but you're still going to get some power back regardless. The game always gives you power to summon more creatures, yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you've got lots of power, and then it's very difficult to hold on to, so it seeps away from you, mm-hmm. which is why when you get higher up the energy track, it's uh, you start to lose some. Whereas the lower down the energy track you are, you get rewarded for being uh, quite far behind. Um, the other catch-up mechanism is whoever's last on the energy track becomes the first player on the next turn. and mm-hmm. uh, The turn order basically is based on how much energy everyone's got. So potentially every round, the turn order can change amongst all four players. Yeah. And, uh, that gives the first player, even though they've got the least power, it gives them first pick of places to summon their creatures to, which gives them that advantage. And they can stop someone co- from completing the terrain. They could make sure their creature goes before, because they're going to go before everyone else. They can try and wipe out their big guys before their guys even get a chance to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of gives you that advantage. And within two turns, you could go from being first to winning quite easily. Yeah. Um, you just got to play it right. And uh, so you never really out the game, basically. That's that was what the aim was. We we had a, a couple of turns with uh, Mark, who ended up winning the game, mm-hmm. J- just to to slightly shit on people. Uh, <laughs> would just flood the board with as many creatures as he could, and just yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh... So we had, we had a couple of rounds where it came to the last person, and they, there was just nowhere for them to put a a creature on the lap. Thanks, <laughs> guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> and well, this is what I found anyway. But yeah, that, that happened to you a lot. Not, not that I'm bitter about being picked on by the other three yeah. who, uh, that I was playing against. Not, not, not at all. No, no, that never happens. Yeah, he's totally, he's totally let go. Of that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, it changes how you play the game, I suppose, because <laughs> you don't want to rush ahead. Um, you want to try and stay in that middle ground the whole way through, and then push ahead at the end. Yeah. I suppose that is quite different from your standard uh, resource management worker placement game where it's you want to get your engine going as quick as possible mm-hmm. um, to start trying to pull ahead. Which is what I'm used to doing. Yeah. <laughs> which is why they, which is yeah. why it played out the way it did. Yeah. So basically what we're saying, Robbie, is the catch-up mechanics do work. So oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, looking forward to actually, now that I know what I'm doing, having another crack in it. The yeah. of the game. So I, I guess the, the other thing that um, that I found quite interesting about Summoner's Isle was that the uh, the combat's all dice-based. Yes. Yeah, Which, yeah. again, uh, is something that's very different from uh, other games in, in that, um, that 
area control worker placement type genre and what what i found particularly interesting about this is that the sort of people that enjoy those kinds of games are very often quite derogatory of like uh, random number generation and and dice rolling as a mechanic so it was that something that that you were conscious of when you decided to incorporate it or did, were you just kind of riffing off what you enjoyed um i just went with what i wanted to play myself so yeah. uh, <laughs> I quite like rolling dice, and I tried to make it as structured as possible. So, um, so a sprite can always be, or potentially can be a troll. A troll can potentially beat a worm. Mm-hmm. A worm can destroy everything, uh, and a troll has the option to destroy most things. So you kind of got that middle ground of, well, you got one creatures that aren't very good, but maybe just might, if they're lucky, be able to do something with their position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other side, your worm comes on the table and uh, or in the land, and then you know that some carnage is going to happen because they can. It's very rare that they miss, and if it if they do miss, you tend to get quite an excited response from the other players. Yeah, well, th- this is one of the things that that I love about dice and mm. games is that that you always get. I mean, we we we're, uh, we're quite big fans of like a lot of the games workshop games. Oh, lovely! Like, yeah, yeah, mm. you, you always get that uh, these moments where it's like the. The, the one little archer managing he has that very slim chance yeah. of, of making that one shot that will kill the bloodthirster and he does it yeah well, he I mean, always does it well yeah. it happened with uh, <laughs> we we played a game we've spoken about it in the podcast before yeah. but it was uh, we were playing a huge game of Warhammer uh, Callum had this uh, rogue idol which is just a huge uh, animated rock giant charging straight at the at Colin's empire and then the the engineer uh does a stand and shoot reaction and uh, just put, gets his pistol out aims and takes fire <laughs> and just happens to hit the, the right rock to take it all out <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah which it, felt amazing for him yeah, yeah no but like all of us i think even cam was uh, what, <laughs> what on earth yeah. yeah it's it's one of those little moments like you say that you just don't get that in uh, in the the standard uh, games like mm-hmm. uh, Concordia and that sort of thing, where you you yeah. can quite ably predict what's going to happen. The the dice add in an element of unpredictability that make the the games more exciting. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think that so too is um you never really know what's going to happen, even if you think everything's stacked in your favour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something might go against you, and also vice versa, as you just said. There could be a a very slim chance of it pulling off, but if it pulls off, it's magnificent. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it, I, I follow a couple of the the software designers uh, for Bungie on Twitter. You know the guys that they make Halo and Destiny and all that. And uh, I think his name's Josh Hamrick. He, he now works for Bethesda, who do Fallout mm. and Elder Scrolls and all that. And he thinks that um, one of the main reasons that esports have not quite hit the mainstream yet is because of the lack of randomness within them. Oh. Yeah. But, but I mean, but you think about it in, in football, you have no control over the weather, but it's a factor in your game. That's true. Mm-hmm. And and he, he reckons that it's the, because esports at the moment are generally speaking, purely skill-based. They're very clean games, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And they cleanly designed. Yeah. That might be very satisfying for the person who's amazing at Counter-Strike, but for the person playing against them who's not, probably not a fun experience. 
probably not a fun thing to watch. Yeah. So, <laughs> but at, at the same time, although people will say, you know, about games like uh, Magic: The Gathering or Warhammer that oh, they're all luck based. At the same time, there's a great amount of skill in being mm. able to respond to things that are beyond your control. Yeah, and it's that making that spur the decision, uh, that spur the moment decision where okay, well. What I was going to do cannot happen now. What do I do with what's left? Yeah, mm-hmm. and that that's reflective of life. Yeah, there is so there's so <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? There's so much <laughs> stuff beyond our control, and the that's people that, that, <laughs> that make the best of what they've got, it's because they're able to respond skillfully to things beyond their we're, control. We're getting deep for podcasts about board games yeah. and cards. <laughs> yeah, it's true though. It's true. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, Robert, you, you mentioned earlier the Kickstarter is coming in September. So what yes. I was um, what I was wondering, we we've in case our listeners haven't picked up on it, we were graciously given a, a copy to have a crack uh, at. What we were wondering though is, uh, are there going to be any changes uh, between now and the Kickstarter happening, or is uh, are what we're looking at is this like the finished products more or less? Changes will mainly be aesthetic, just mm-hmm. to sure. make the areas more defined, make the map a bit richer. Because I think the printing of the one you've got is a bit dark, so I want to sort of uh, enhance that a bit better, okay. so the areas are easier to see on the board, especially mm-hmm. on the four player game tokens everywhere uh creatures sorry uh, you've got creatures <laughs> uh, you want to be able to know what territories they're in so i just got to define those and make those a bit clearer uh working with different publishers as well so hopefully the uh, general quality of everything will go up mm-hmm. but fundamentally the game is pretty much as is uh, nothing major is changing just little tweaks to make it better sure cool um uh, what, one of the things you mentioned earlier was about the game being quite compact Yes. Um, was that something of a of a conscious uh, design decision that you made? Yeah, very much so. Um, we I tend to play in various different groups. Um, we go around people's houses and stuff, and sometimes you don't want to take this massive box with you, mm-hmm. so you just go for whatever's easier to chuck in your backpack. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you go on a holiday, you don't want to take, again, a great mm-hmm. big huge box with you just to play a game of an afternoon you want to go for those smaller box builds and i don't think there's many small box strategy combat style games um which is what i was trying to get at so hopefully i've uh, filled that little niche and not off the top of my head maybe maybe, maybe battleship i mean that's, <laughs> that's probably no, but that's probably like not like joking those like tiny that. epic games which are obviously small and uh, <laughs> yeah but, um, but nothing quite like this at the moment yeah it, not not as frustrating uh when you open it up and well and all the pieces, all the pieces fall out the battleship <laughs> yeah. yeah i can't get it it's like you know when you open a packet of crisps yeah and, and it just, just flies everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. um but no it's a very good point though because uh, we've had this with uh gaming sessions we, we were playing gloomhaven uh the other weekend and we, oh, yeah. we, we go with kevin's because I, because I, I, well, because, yeah, because it would be unfair to have him travel from one side of the city to the other with a box that I be, genuinely would fear for his health. It like it, <laughs> it weighs a child, basically. Yeah, it's, it's humongous. Huge. Yeah, it's, it's and humongous. the thing is that in a given session, you're not using most of the stuff that's in the box <laughs> as well, because it's it's all scenario driven, right? So it's like yeah. you know, you've got the book and it says mm. you use this and that, but um. 
it's a fair point about the the compact game, but I suppose the other thing is that you'd mentioned earlier about um, you do have some other ideas and things, and I guess one of the quandary that every um, uh, designer or developer, whatever you want to describe yourself as, has when they go go on to Kickstarter, is do you play the conservative game and win the trust of the backers, or do you yes. go in big and ambitious with a higher risk? It's a gamble. Yeah. Um, me personally, I wanted to do something which I thought I could achieve. Uh, so I, that's why I set all my goals. So small box, so easy to postage. The postage levels are lower. Mm-hmm. Um, the components are relatively straightforward to make. So no extortionate uh, manufacturing costs. Um, uh, just keeping things, not saying it's a simple game, but trying to keep the streamlined yeah the structure of it Mm. quite simple whether it's achievable i don't want to i didn't want to offer the world and then not be able to actually deliver on it because then i've never that's me dead in the water you you, no one's going to back your one of your products again if you can't deliver what you're saying you're going to deliver um so once if this is successful then there's many other games in the background which are uh, bigger um require a, a bit more time to develop and then maybe that's when I'll probably take a game like that to Kickstarter. Excellent. Excellent. Well, looking forward to uh, seeing some of those that you've got uh, knocking around in your head at the moment. Um, just just before we wrap up, uh, what, what games are you playing at the moment then? Oh, uh, quite enjoying Ghostbusters 2 at the moment. Oh, that's do you know, we, we, I, I haven't even tried the first one, let alone the second one. It's not easy. Uh, Ghostbusters is great. It's a, it's a very unforgiving game. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, What's nice is each scenario's got a few levels involved, and uh, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose each level building up to the main big bad. Uh, it's just how much experience you gain along the way. So if you manage to complete a level, that's great. You get extra experience to hopefully buy more goodies along the way for the next mission. So you're more likely to beat the big bad. Mm-hmm. But um, it doesn't stop you playing. It just uh, just makes it harder, and it is a hard game. It's a bit like um, uh, the Dungeon Dragon games, you know, the Castle Ravenloft and oh yeah, the, the, the sort of RPG light games that yeah, uh, they're, they're they games, do, but they're not easy. They don't no. make it life easy for you at all. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think being a Ghostbuster would be an easy job, so it's probably somewhat realistic. No, I I think that the, uh, the you know the film with Bill Murray and all that was quite a, an an accurate uh, representation of what the the day-to-day life of a Ghostbuster would really be like. Well, what do you think it would be like? I think it'd be a lot, a lot harder, a lot scarier, a lot more counselling. Yeah, <laughs> counselling. <laughs> to be fair, like, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they all needed counselling after the events of the films. Yeah, I mean, like the, that that whole scene where Dan Aykroyd is sexually assaulted by a ghost. I mean, that's horrible. It's not that's that horrifying. Funny. Yeah, yeah, horrifying. I've managed to wipe that from my memory. Yeah, <laughs> there, we there we are. Think about that. <laughs> no joke. Uh, I always thought they should do um, a British version of the Ghostbusters, which is a bit just just a bit rubbish. <laughs> like, really, like, they, they would have to get Derek Akora in there somewhere. I knew, I knew you were going to bring up uh, Derek Akora. <laughs> right, I, I don't really go in for celebrities, mm. but I I love Derek Akora. I love the right. fact that he's a complete charlatan <laughs> and that everyone just totally <laughs> indulges him. Yeah, basically he's using he, he he's pretending to be um 
a medium that can communicate with the dead as an excuse of being abusive to people around him. Yeah. So... <laughs> but he's like he's like chat magazine level tacky. Yeah, oh like he God. doesn't even try to intellectualize it the way like Darren Brown and people like that do. Mm-hmm. It's just bullshit. <laughs> um, just sitting there thinking, why is no one stopping me talking? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. He's, he, he, yeah, he's loving it. He's like, this is great. They're paying me to do this. They're paying me to be an awful person. The, the best bit is when he knows that he's gone a bit too far. He just faints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Air quote faints. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, excellent, excellent! But uh, no, I'll have to. I will have to give the Ghostbusters game a go. I love the yeah. films. So. It's a, it actually sounds a little bit like the the pandemic games. Mm, pretty unforgiving. Yeah, pretty difficult co op. And games. Like, like you're saying that you you don't die, you fail a mission, and then you suffer the yeah. consequences for your failure. Yeah, yeah, That's similar. It's like death is no escape. <laughs> oh, how cheery! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Right, uh, I think that's uh, everything uh, we wanted to cover off. Yeah. Uh, so, look, Robbie, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Just before we go, uh, where can our listeners find out more about yourself and about Summoner's Isle? It's, uh, there is a Facebook page. Uh, if you just look up Summoner's Isle, it should take you there. Um, the website is peculiarity.co.uk. Uh, and we're on uh, board game geek as well so again if you just look up summoners i should take you to board games geek page uh there's all the details on there yeah and we'll have all the links to those in the show notes as well and uh don't you worry we will be uh linking to the kickstarter page the moment it goes live as well yeah amazing thank you very much guys. no problem thank <laughs> thank you for coming on the yeah. show and guys thank you very much for listening we'll catch you next time bye bye brilliant take care we are unlucky frog gaming and I am Ben. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Unlucky Frog Gaming. You can also show your support by giving us money through the Unlucky Frog Patreon. And be sure to check out our website, unluckyfrog.com, to find out more. Mm-hmm.